Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? All right. Um, let's have some fun, shall we? <laughs> really, real great way to roll into it. <laughs> let's not have any fun. All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, anyone in between, thank you for joining us. It's episode 58. Uh, we're here and we're going to be talking about something. A little bit different today. We actually are doing a video essay as our quote-unquote article for this pitch. Um, Rob, I'm going to go out on a limb right now and just say I had a very difficult time trying to come up with a pitch for this one. Um, oh, okay. So mine is very... I I don't know. We'll we'll get into that, I guess. Um, but before we do, how are you? I'm doing good. Got a little bit of a nasal drip. I don't know if folks can at home can hear it, but uh, I don't really hear it on my end. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say you're a okay for this for this recording. I'm gonna I'm gonna be sure to mute my microphone if I feel the need to do one of those snorts. Oh, you mean like this? <laughs> ah, gross. <laughs> ASMR. People pay. He for did that the shit. thing. It did the thing. Ugh. Um, we're we're approaching episode sixty. Uh, we will have a special guest. Haven't heard back from them yet, so we're hoping to. They're not good at messages. They're not. Uh, and if we don't hear back, we're going to have to get someone else. Uh, we don't want to hey. do that. So, uh, as we approach episode sixty, we will have a special guest for that episode. As always, we'll uh, uh, we will you know plug them uh, next episode so that you can check out their work and material and all that goody goody uh, before episode 60. So you know who you're getting into. Yeah, that sounded weird. So you know what you're getting into with he- with them. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's all consensual here. Um, you're, you're in a weird place today already. I've already. Yeah. Let me let me let me preface that to the audience. I, I already apologized to Rob before we started recording that I'm very scatterbrained today. I don't know why. Um, but so I might be all over the place. I might forget what I'm saying in the middle of it, but Hey, that's what people love to listen to on podcasts. When people lose train of thought and there's dead silence. It's um, like listening to a little baby bird, <laughs> a little baby bird, just squandering all of its potential. Um, little baby bird, Nick Wolf, <laughs> Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about the video essay that we're, uh, we're looking at today, which of course, as always, will be linked in the description of the episode. Sure. Uh, now, this is a, a video essay by uh, a channel I really love called Rare Earth that uh, does a lot of really cool looks at different places in the world and different stories from history and mythology and how it relates to culture. Uh, I really can't recommend the, ch- the channel highly enough. I've learned so much from it. So we're going to do something uh, a little bit interesting today with this episode, which is that I'm going to drop the audio from that episode of Rare Earth into this for you guys to listen to. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, because it is an essay, because they're talking about something you can't really see. Uh, it does actually work. It's something to listen to. It's about seven minutes long. Uh, so, yeah, enjoy that. And uh, when we come back, Nick and I will we'll talk about our thoughts and our feelings from that and where we would take a movie from. 
So Do we yeah, have enjoy. To sit here in silence for seven minutes while they listen. Yes, to it? in real time. Work? Otherwise, yeah. the edit's really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine uh, we just sit there for seven minutes and fourteen seconds in complete silence because we don't understand be so editing timelines. <laughs> and I, I keep I keep our audio underneath the whole time too. Just every now and again, you hear like, love it. Alright, so uh, yeah, enjoy this episode guys And uh, we'll see you in a little bit I'm surrounded by 400 people Clinging to a volcano 2,000 kilometers deep Into the Atlantic Corvo, the island of the crow Although really There are no crows here They mean to say cormorant, although There aren't really any cormorants either The truest name that this little rock ever had Is the island Of the statue because for all the history here, the most important thing that humans ever did happened before it was even discovered. In the 15th century, Portuguese sailors returning from Newfoundland stumbled across a yet uncharted island in the Azores, a small volcanic crater sticking up out of the ocean a few hundred meters, seemingly untouched by man. But as they sailed around that island, a lone figure in the hills caught their eye. On the top of a cliff on the far western shore was a carved statue a sign of humanity, long since worn down by the salt. It was a saddleless horseman riding atop a stone pedestal, his left hand on the back of his animal, and his right pointed out deep into the abyss of the Atlantic, as if he was calling people forward to a world they had only just found. At his feet were carvings that none could recognize, not then, not ever. And I can only imagine the thoughts that must have crossed those sailors' minds. Nobody had ever been here, and yet, there it was. It was more than a mystery. It must have felt like a fantasy come to life, like a mirage that they couldn't wipe away from their eyes. It's as if we get to Mars, and the first thing we see there is a statue of a man on a horse. What types of stories would we tell? How would it affect the community that grew up around it? It would still be a lifetime before anybody actually settled here. And even when they did, it was as subsistence farmers barely capable of survival. This island would never become anything more than a footnote in Azorean history, completely unknown to the vast majority of mainland Portuguese even to this day. There's nothing here to differentiate them from the rest of these islands. Well, except how much harder it was to survive, how little they had in comparison. That statue was the one thing that they had that nobody else did. And in a way, it defines these islands far better than anything else ever could. But this was a colony, and it didn't matter that the settlers were Portuguese. It wasn't long before the mainlanders stripped Corvo of everything that it valued. They demanded that that statue be brought back to Lisbon. It was broken into pieces and shipped to an indifferent king, uncared for by a people with little desire to even admit it existed. After all, it was proof that they weren't first. So there, locked away, it remained a curiosity of the court until it was lost and turned to legend. There are no pictures of it, no drawings, no representations of any type, no proof that it ever truly was here at all. Just a memory hidden in the fantasies of people on a volcano deep in the ocean. Yet. By not existing, that statue has almost gained more power than if it did. Fantasy is far more tenacious than reality can ever hope to be. Mainlanders might have stolen and destroyed the physical item, but here on Corvo, they remember the myth that it represents. 
In this way, it can change with the generations here. Each new iteration of the islanders can come up with a new meaning of their symbol. It's like a cloud on which they've built their society. Nobody needs to look below to see what it's actually resting on, just so long as everything is still able to rest. When Columbus found Hispaniola, the islanders here said that the only reason he knew it was there was that he stopped in Corvo, saw the statue, and followed where it pointed. Which is definitely not true. We know that for a fact. but. It doesn't stop the people here from saying it. Similarly, when Cabral found Brazil, they said the same thing. He stopped here, looked at the statue, only this time it pointed towards South America. Which, again, was not true, but didn't stop them from saying it. That cycle continued throughout this island's history. Whatever seemed important, whatever happened in the West, this was how they felt connected to it. When American whalers came to pick up Corvoese to fill their ships, they claimed that the statue pointed towards Boston. By that time, it was no longer a man on a horse, but the Virgin Mary. The text below her feet no longer said something unintelligible in a foreign language, but it was Latin, and it said, Go forth, Jesus. Every new generation came up with their own lie, their own myth to keep this island's importance alive. Not to others, but to themselves. They lie about it to this day. And I can understand why. It isn't just the pride of having an important monument in a tiny community. That statue was a near-perfect symbol of the history of these islands. It was a physical manifestation of the dawn of colonization, of the conquest of the New World. This island might be Portugal on paper, but underwater, in the plate tectonics, this is the furthest east you can get in North America. The history, the identity, hell, the land itself points west. Of course the statue would too. It lets them feel greater than some poor souls locked on a forgotten rock. This isn't about a statue. It's about them. In the eyes of the people who populate this island, Corvo has always been a stepping stone to the most important moments of history. A beacon of some future long since covered by the reality of the past. And even if, in fact, those original boats heading towards Brazil didn't actually stop here, even if, in fact, Columbus never learned their name, when you ask these locals, they'll tell you otherwise. Because long before those early explorers raised their sails, the horsemen of Corvo pointed their way. It doesn't really matter if they saw it or not. Even if this was reality, an artifact to be studied of the ancient past, by now, it's just a harmless myth. It lets them see themselves as important to a world that simply doesn't care if they exist. So it's not all that important what the mainlanders decide to call this community because they know what they are. They're the island of the statue. And it doesn't really matter who built it. The only thing that truly matters here is where it's going to point to next. This is Rare Earth. So that was the story of the uh, the mysterious statue of Corvo, a, uh, an island in in the north of the Azores. Uh, I I seized on this immediately when I when I first heard or watched the video, which you, if you get a chance later you should watch it too at home, guys. He's got some great footage of the island, uh, beautiful places out in the Atlantic, and I just seized on it as a really interesting story, not about like the mystery of the statue is not what I was intrigued the most by, but how that legend, whether or not it's even completely true, defines these people. Mm -hmm. 
it, 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 it's, it's so fascinating to me how we relate to our own mythologies and how, I, I think I brought this up on the podcast before. There's a, a John Ford movie called the, the man who shot Liberty Valance. And it in, includes this line that is one of the most stunningly true things about the way we perceive the world, which is when the legend becomes fact, you print the legend. Yeah. I do remember talking about that on one of the episodes. Actually, mm-hmm. I know you and I have discussed it not yeah. on the podcast, but I remember talking about that on the podcast too. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it's in the context of this, you know, famous United States senator who first got to be famous by shooting an outlaw. And uh, he's telling his biographer that that didn't really happen. This drunk that was played by John Wayne actually did it. And hmm. the guy tears up his, his notebook and he's like, no, nah, man, the legend becomes fact. You print the legend. Legit. That's that's very true to the lives of these people of Corvo. I, w- I would say that what's what's fascinating about this is in terms of that that quote and everything is the idea that in the video, the, the, I guess, journalists, I don't know if they say his name. It's just the, the, the video is from a company called rare earth on YouTube. Uh-huh. Um, again, make sure you check it out. Uh, but the idea that he talks about how like they don't have any physical evidence of the statue ever even having been there. And it's like, it's just something that's passed out. It's it kind of sort of, in a roundabout way reminds me of which episode uh, I think it was episode 56 where we talked about the town in, was it Brazil where they believe in the Confederacy and all that stuff. Yeah. The, kind the of like, it's sort of like a, um, almost like a whitewashed history or something like that. Obviously not whitewashed in the same term, but the idea that it's been taught generation to generation, passed down to pass down and everything like that. And there's, it's just like, well, how do we know this happened? Oh, my dad told me, Oh, whoa, he saw it happen. Well, no, his, his dad told him, you know, and it just keeps going back and back and back. It's a game of telephone. Exactly. Yeah. Which again, remember that the oldest hobby in the world is oratory storytelling. So it's basically how anything has been created is a direct descendant from, Hey, did you hear? (laughs) <laughs> like that's yeah. basically that's basically what the whole premise is um but our really ancestors were gossipy bitches who couldn't read <laughs> they really were always around a campfire they always had to be warm <laughs> cheryl was always really cold she had to wear a quilt um fucking cheryl <laughs> fucking cheryl um but yeah it's it's a fascinating it's it's a quick video it's only seven minutes um but it's a fascinating look into the idea that the eerie thought that, hey, we've discovered this island. There's something man-made here before we got here. So what happened? Or to look on the other side of that coin, was something man-made ever actually really here? You know? Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we have really no, obviously no photographs of it. No, no real drawings of it. We have a drawing based on someone describing it. Did but, they uh, Did they say when it. it was found? or hypothetically when it was found? Yes, he generally mentions a period when the when the Europeans landed there. So probably around uh, the 1500s. But I, I, I forget exactly when. Probably around the 15 or 1600s, I would think. I don't think it's going back any further than that. Maybe, the, oh no, Columbus was 1492, right? Yeah, I hate that that's burned into our brains. Because he sailed the ocean blue, yeah. Yeah, yeah god damn it. The and he raped and pillaged and murdered and brutally tortured. <laughs> Happy Leif Erikson Day, motherfuckers. <laughs> well, you can't hold him to today's standards. We're not. We're yes, holding him to the standards of his day. Because yeah. guess what? He was shunned from Spain. <laughs> yeah, they threw him in jail. <laughs> For doing all of those shit. horrible things. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. 
it's an interesting watch, a, a very quick, interesting watch. But that's basically the premise, the idea that the statue was here before anyone else got here, or was it? Um, and the idea that these people, these descendants, passed down this story from generation mm. to generation. And it has changed over time. It's gone from the man on a horse to the um, Virgin Mary, I believe he said. Uh, yeah, that it had ins- that inscriptions uh, mysteriously about the Virgin Mary. Fourth or... with Jesus or something like that, I think the, the, the inscription oh, he's, said. he's pointing to America. Yeah, yeah. Columbus saw that, and that's how he discovered America. Columbus never stepped foot in America, so yeah. calm down. <laughs> it's it, it's uh, like it's more than likely if the statue was pointing anywhere, like it was probably pointing at a place you shouldn't sail because there's rocks. Like look like out that. over there. Yeah, there's really not a lot of reasons to put a statue on an island and having it point somewhere. Exactly. Because like, like if you can't build a lighthouse, that's actually a pretty good way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like look, it's a lighthouse. It's it's meant to be a pillar of the island. No, no, no. It's meant for ships to not go run aground. <laughs> yeah. This has function. Stop staring at it. <laughs> sure, it's pretty, but that's not the point. <laughs> well, while you were staring at it, you hit a fucking rock. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, great All job, right. Rob. I'm going to ask you a very important question. I don't know if you know what's coming, um, but. What do you got? Oh, God, I'm so unprepared. <laughs> um, so in, in a way, another thing I took from the story is that it's it's very much a microcosm of colonialism hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, the arrival of, of European explorers. Even though this is kind of Europe, it's an island chain in the northern Atlantic. But, you know, the arrival of European explorers and their immediate like, how can there be something here if we weren't here? Mm-hmm. Uh, attitude. Yeah. And of course, the later, like, well, we're taking this. We're taking this because the queen wants to stare at it and chopping it up <laughs> into little pieces and and taking it back to the mainland and, and you know uh, handicapping an entire culture's identity, even if it's just a couple hundred people. Uh, so I wanted to do something. As I said, my imagination was kind of running wild when I heard this story. As I, I love a mystery that is utterly never going to be fully explained. Mm-hmm. So I, I went a, a little bit in a fantastical direction. The movie is called Oneros, which is uh, the Greek word for the personification of dreams. Like if you were to meet a dream, it would be called an Oneros. Is that Greek word you said? Yes. It's a pretty word. Yes. Can you spell uh, it for me? Sure. It's O-N-E-I-R-O-S. Oneros. Interesting. Rob's pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Big block letters. <laughs> <laughs> Just my entire pitch is done in like uh, cut out words from magazines. How are bubble letters? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm the fucking Zodiac. Um, <laughs> uh, I went with the uh, the director, Alfonso Cuaron. Ooh, nice. Children of uh, Man. Children of uh, Gravity. Mark. Yeah. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. No, Prisoner of Azkaban. Prisoner yeah. of Azkaban. The best one. That's, I, that, that's three, right? That's his. Yeah. Because my my favorite is four, mm. and I'm not I, I'm not a huge Potterhead like like Rob or like Meg or a Hope who's been on the co- uh, I was gonna say oh Meg is Meg is you know far and away <laughs> she's far and away we've lost her she's yeah. she's gone she's gone to the dark side of Hogwarts um yeah uh, the whole thing's the dark side now hey <laughs> uh, good job Joanne so <laughs> I wanted to do a Spanish language film. Okay. Uh, which is partly why I went with Alfonso. Uh, the cast I put together is Gail Garcia Bernal, Diego Luna, uh, a actress I've become aware of recently named Maria Elisa Camargo, and she from? 
Genesis Rodriguez. Uh, Maria Elisa Camargo. Uh, I just became aware of her this week because she plays one of the antagonists of Call of, uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, th- I thought she was a boss bitch. So I'm like, yeah, you can be in my Do you? <laughs> in my uh, has she been in any movies you've seen or now? Um, no, not that I can think of offhand. It says she mostly did like uh, telenovelas and stuff before uh, before this. Um, let me take a quick look at the uh, yeah. I'm the looking at her too, real quick. Maria Elisa Camargo. Um, she was in the, that. Oh, there's that Netflix. I think it's a Netflix show. No, it's a Cinemax show. But that show Warrior is supposed to. Uh, be. I watched the first or two or so episodes of that show. It was fantastic. I need to rewatch. That yeah, I hadn't seen good. it, but it's been recommended to me. But yeah, Warrior, that's a highly that's a recommend one. for if, <laughs> if you're interested in stunt work or stunt choreography at all. It's, I mean, it's it's just an, a straight up homage to Bruce Lee. Yeah, that's sick. Um, yeah, but it looks like other than that, she's mostly done uh, um, Spanish language stuff in in Mexico and Ecuador. Uh, where okay. she is from, she is my only non Mexican cast member, actually. Interesting. But um, I kind of was going to follow a little bit of the similar tract of, of the actual legend uh, and that these are four residents of a small island, um, a very sort of rocky, out-of-the-way place that has not a statue but sort of an icon at the center of the village uh, on top of the, the well where everyone gets their water in the town. Hmm. This um, beautifully crafted sort of bronze piece of artwork depicting a crow or a raven, I think is the bigger one, which I want to go with. I think ravens are bigger. I think ravens are bigger than crows. Yeah. Uh, and it is, you know, more than anything else in the town, the best piece of craft work. Like, you know, they live in, in very simple homes uh, and they have like, you know, they spin their own clothing and stuff like that. But this is like a masterwork piece of smithing hmm. um, to the point where it's a little bit incongruous for it to be there. Uh, unless they happen to have some random amazing blacksmith living there hundreds of years before. Right. Like it's, it's just, it's the, the filigree is just too pretty and beautiful for it to have just been like shown up. Yeah. And so there's just four people going about their lives. They might be married to each other in different pairings. I think it would be fun to have Gail and, and Diego be married to each other in this because they are absolute best friends and rarely. Oh, are they really? They, What's the age those... difference there? Gail is, is a lot older than you think he is. Um, yeah, he said it's like his mid-40s, right? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think Diego is also about that age. He just has a baby face. Really? Wow, yeah. Yeah. Because they both came up in the Mexican acting scene together. Yes. Did Gael you ever is, see... is 43. Diego is... Diego is 42, so they're a year wow. apart. Wow. Wow, yeah, yeah, I would not have guessed that. Yeah. Um, did you ever see the very indie movie called Dot the Eye with Gael Garcia Bernal back in like 2002, I want to say. No, I haven't seen it. What's it about? All right. So I, I it's, it's very twist heavy, so I don't want to give any spoilers away. It was <laughs> in my, it was in my kind of nihilistic fight club obsession days. Um, uh. <laughs> and it's sort of in the same vein. Basically what it's about, it's a love triangle about a woman who is uh, about to get married and she's out to dinner with her girlfriends. And while she's out to dinner with them, Gael Garcia Bernal is there with his two friends. One of them played by a very young Tom Hardy. Oh. Um, and the three of them are out and they have a camera because they like to film things for the hell of it. And her like it's some type of tradition. I think she's also Spanish. It's some type of tradition that it's an English uh, speaking movie, but uh it's a tradition where i guess she has to have a a kiss from a a stranger one time before her wedding night 
Uh, mm. And he gets chosen. They start seeing each other. But there's so much more to unravel. I have not seen that movie in close to 20 years. I wow. remember loving the hell out of it. I would love to give it another shot. But that's the first movie I saw with him. Uh, and then right after that, I rented The Motorcycle Diaries because I really loved his oh, performance. Now, that is an incredible film. That's where yes. I fall in love with him. That's that. And then, I mean, he was in Babel. He's such a great, fantastic actor that a lot of people don't know because he's not like he's not like a Hollywood actor, even though he's well, been he in a just, couple he movies. He just did a Marvel project. So. Yeah, I know. Exactly. He just did Werewolf by Night, right? Which was so much fun. I haven't watched it yet, but I need to. Um, yeah, you'll enjoy yeah, it. It's it's a real. It, it feels like bizarrely risky game. for for Marvel to just do yeah. something that different. Definitely, definitely want to see it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fascinating film, and it's 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 going to keep you on the edge of your seat the entire time if you end up watching. So I do recommend it. Again, I'm I haven't it seen it in twenty years. So it could be horrible comparatively to my taste in film now. I've, I've seen that happen a lot recently where it's like, oh, I, I used to watch this movie all the time and I absolutely loved it. And then I'll rewatch and go, oh, it's not as good. Yeah. Or I'll watch a movie and go, I hated this movie. Let's give it another shot. Oh, it's better than I thought. So it's been interesting lately. Um, that's that's what I like about the Facebook memories feature is I can really go back in time and see uh, exactly how terrible I was. As a human being, like <laughs> a young 20-something little dirtbag. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah. And just, like, I get to slowly over time erase any evidence that I was ever a teenager, which is probably <laughs> best. <laughs> I do the same thing. I'll see, like, Facebook memory posts I've made, and I'll be like, oh, God, I should not have said that. <laughs> yep. I'm like, oh, wow, you really didn't know, like, any gay people or any Sir, trans you people. are an idiot. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have so many good experiences. I just hate you as you are. So <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> uh, my favorite story of the friendship of Diego Luna and Gabriel Garcia Bernal is that um, when they called Diego to offer him the role of Cassie and Andor in Rogue One, you know, your romantic leading man, mm -hmm. the first thing he said was, are you sure you weren't trying to reach Gail? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I, I he's like a tiny guy too he's only like five six i think I yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um what what is okay i know diego luna and i know he was in rogue one but what else yeah. is he from because um, i know there's other movies I mean, he was I've in seen. milk with uh with oh uh, with um okay uh he plays a boyfriend of his who takes his own life unfortunately uh yes but, okay but what else have i seen him in the terminal with Tom Hanks. Oh, that's that's what I'm thinking of. Yep, because I actually just rewatched that movie for the first time in a very long time, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, he's he's trying to hook up with Zoe Saldana. Yeah, he's, 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 he's like, he doesn't try; he succeeds. Yeah, he's like they get married uh, the first time they meet or something. Yeah, Tom Hanks is like secretly funneling him information about like, <laughs> that's such big a big Trekkie, movie. big fucking yeah. nerd. Uh, <laughs> Which is, it's, it's weird that she's like a big Trekkie in that movie doing the uh, the Vulcan hand salute, and then she goes on to play O'Hara in Star Trek. Exactly, yeah. Uh, oh, and he's also on Narcos. Okay, Diego, I never saw that, or, or was. Uh, and now I'm reading that Diego and Gail have been friends since they were babies, which is Childhood, fantastic. yeah. I just yeah. saw that too, actually. Um, so, uh, back to my pitch. Um, the four of them uh, living in this town, living a pretty peaceful life. Uh, when I, I know I want there to be like a sort of an overwhelmingly colonizing force. I'm not sure if I want it to be like, you know, Columbus era Spain or okay. it could be, you know, the Romans. 
okay. uh, the Roman Empire. It could be it could be anything like that. I really haven't decided on it, but I am leaning a bit more towards Rome. Okay, um, just because it's antiquity, but they're extremely advanced and you know very out of sorts with with villagers uh, when you see these uniform Roman legionaries. Sure. Um, and they're the leader of this uh, group. Uh, you know, they take all their food because they're on a voyage some uh, somewhere as part of an invasion. And the the leader, the centurion of this this group of Romans, takes the the bronze casting of a crow uh, from atop their well and uses it uses it on the uh, the standard of the legion, the the banner that they bear. Okay, which would usually have like an eagle at the top, but he uses this because it looks better. <laughs> and um, the fantastical element I wanted to introduce is that it, it's so intrinsically tied to the nature of this island that, you know, one of the older residents notes that this is where our dreams come from. Because, uh, hmm. like, crows and ravens are always tied to dreams and mythologies uh, as messengers, and people on the island literally lose the ability to dream. Uh, if you can tell, I've been watching Sandman. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, to, to the point where their sleep is not restful and they all sort of become very, you know, if you can't dream, you, you, yeah, it, it also becomes quite literal in the fact that you become very almost zombie-like and just going through your day like a machine. Uh, so one or more, possibly all of my, my characters go on a, uh, a, a sea voyage to try and track down these Roman legionaries and it takes them to, um. I think they're probably going to land in Spain and then go the short hop across to North Africa, uh, okay. pursuing this to to try and help their to try and help their people. So, and, uh, kind of a greater hero's journey type of thing. You know, it's kind of funny. The dream area of your film is kind of reminding me of another Gael Garcia Barnell movie. Did you <laughs> ever see one? the Science of Sleep? I did not know. It's the Michael Gondry movie, the one he did right after Eternal Sunshine. Um, and okay. it's literally about a guy who learns how to traverse his dreams and meets the woman of his dreams in them and trying to find her in real life and stuff. Um, that just reminded me of that because you're going off dream stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I think the uh, the disruption of, of that uh, from the Romans taking it, I like to think that they are plagued by very severe nightmares. And as they are tracking these these legionaries down, they can see evidence of them becoming worse and taking this hmm. out on the surrounding countryside on their way to a a battle against the North African kingdom. Uh, that's probably the big set piece is, is during that they confront the centurion and they get their thing back and kill him. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I wanted to do kind of like a, a real quest type of, of movie uh, with a little bit of a supernatural element to it, but obviously not affecting it that much to where people are like casting spells. Uh, otherwise, I'm just writing a D and D campaign, and I have those <laughs> on my plate. <laughs> and that movie's coming out soon, anyway. So, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited! <laughs> it's gonna be a fun time. Chris Pine is a bard. It's such a good idea. <laughs> oh, dude, it's so funny. He's like, "What do you do? I make the plan, and then if a plan fails, I make another plan. So your plan is to make something that fails." <laughs> <laughs> Typical barbarians. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, that's the pitch for Oneros on the whole. Um, I I just had a really fun time imagining these people going off on a Tolkien style adventure from their their small island to a, a more metropolitan Europe to the the sands of North Africa for for a, a confrontation with this just to help their their island uh, you know get its have its dreams back but also reclaim its identity. 
Yeah. Because that yeah. was such a centerpiece of their life and such a such a different thing. The cat really wants to come in the room where I'm recording this. <laughs> Go <laughs> you know away. That reminds me. It kind of reminds me of a book that recently came out that I just read called "The Portrait of a Th- uh, The Portrait of a Thief," um, which is about a group of Chinese American college students who task not task themselves; they are tasked by uh, a Chinese conglomerate to steal Chinese artifacts back from museums to bring them back to the homeland because they were stolen unfairly. Um, <laughs> oh, dope! It's it's a really fast. It's actually going to be a Netflix show. Uh, it was a really fascinating read because the whole thing is about kind of the Chinese American identity and what it mm-hmm. means to feel like you don't belong wholly to one or the other world. Um, oh wow! It's, it's a really fascinating read, uh, and it's I can't remember the author's name, but she it's her first. I think it's her debut book, and it before the book even uh, hit shelves, which I think it came out in September maybe August mm-hmm. or something, maybe in spring. Uh, but even before the book hit shelves, it was already tracked for the Netflix show. So I'm excited to see what they do with that. I, I mean, honestly, like after this, I'm going to a doctor's appointment, then I'm going to Barnes and Noble because that sounds fucking great. <laughs> it's a fantastic book. Yeah. If you, if you read it, let me know because uh, I got, it's a pretty quick read too. I think it was only like 350 pages. I got through it pretty quick. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, it was a good time and it's uh, I'm excited to see what they do with the show. I'm worried that what they're going to end up doing is casting people that are Asian and not Chinese American when the entire fucking purpose of the book is about being a is Chinese American. Yeah. So we'll, well see you got a little but... bit of wiggle room with that because there are people who are Vietnamese, but ethnically Chinese. Yeah. True. And people who are Korean, but ethnically Chinese. Yeah, sure. Um, true. Just because of the way sort of chips fell in that way. The only way one I could think of that doesn't have a, a huge amount of crossover is Japan. Exactly. Because yeah, the doors were closed for a while there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is my uh, my pitch for Oneros. Um, so Nick, what do you got? All right. So as I said, I had a lot of trouble coming up with this one. What I will say is we sort of went in a similar-ish direction, at least in terms of locale and timeline. Good, um, good. We at least went into the past. Uh, my my movie uh, takes place in the year 1065 AD um, Ooh, in wow. Norway. So we're doing Specific. a Viking movie. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing a, a Viking movie. Um, and it is a similar to the way that the Greek myth of their gods and Mount Olympus work in tandem with the humans that exist it's, I'm sort of doing something similar in terms of Vikings. Oh, like the Norse tangibly myth. present gods who, exactly, who actually yeah. come down and, and, and interact with people. Exactly, yeah. So my my film is called Longship, um, which is, of course, the the what you call Viking ships, the Dope. long, you know, with all the oars and stuff. Um, my director is Martin McDonough. And yeah, nice. my cast... Actually, let me get to my plot before I get to my cast. So the premise of my film is the true mythological story of Tyr, who is the god of war and possibly peace, depending on what you look at in Norse mythology. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're doing something with the telling of the binding of Fenrir, which, if you don't know Norse mythology, is a giant wolf that the gods tried to lock up because he was endangering the humans of Midgard. And what Tyr did during that time was in order to kind of um encapsulate Fenrir's mind to distract him he put his hand in Fenrir's mouth while the other gods tied him to a boulder uh and then he ended up losing his hand as you do as you do (laughs) I love mythological stories they're so cool um 
what we end up doing in my film is that there is a town of humans in in Midgard um, that understand this story for the way it has been told for decades and centuries and throughout time. Mm-hmm. There's one person who decides that it doesn't sound accurate. He needs to learn more and figure out where exactly the story comes from and what is the truth behind it because they have nothing to go off other than the stories being told and passed down through generation and generation. This is where we end up um we end up coming to the fact that which is true in the Norse mythology that Loki is actually the owner of Fenrir and he's the one that sicked them on the gods and to attack uh oh, yeah. humankind. Oh more than um, that Fenrir is his kid. Exactly, yeah, because he has three three monsters, Fenrir being one of them, and the other is a serpent, and the third is I can't remember. Um, but so it's the idea that this kid kind of I say kid, I cast Bill Skarsgård, not a kid. He's a younger guy. Um, I think he's older than us. <laughs> he is. I'm sure. Well, he might be the same age or so. But it's the idea that this man kind of uncovers the truth of the mythology and the idea that it's based in the real mythology, right? Loki actually did send Fenrir to uh, Midgard to destroy humankind. And it's the idea that this kid uncovers that part of the myth to be true. Um, uh, I don't think I want to see Loki ever, so I didn't cast him. I kind of want a maybe a voice, but I didn't think it prevalent to, to cast a voice uh, for this pitch. Um, but the idea that you only ever see the voice or maybe a silhouette or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyr, I want to be played by Nikolai Kosterwalda. Um, then I want, I only cast two other people. I cast Bill Skarsgård as kind of our main character. And I cast Viggo Mortensen as kind of one of the town elders who's trying to like show that like, d- basically say, don't fuck with the myth. Like, like this is our story. <laughs> this is what we've been saying. Shut the fuck up and and handle it the way it's been handled. Um, I like but that. the yeah, the idea is that this maybe maybe I shouldn't have cast Bill Skarsgård because I do envision a kid. Um, but I was looking up like Norwegian actors, Scandinavian actors, and stuff like that, and I just couldn't come across anyone that one I had ever seen in something besides mm-hmm. older people like Viggo Mortensen, Mads Mikkelsen, and stuff. Um, so I, I just went with Bill Skarsgård. But the idea that he's just questioning things but his questions in in our reality in real life are the true mythos that we do know their mythos is taught differently so he's the one that kind of uncovers the true side of it um but yeah that's my that's my pitch it's not a lot because i really did have trouble with this one coming kind of coming from the idea of like okay there's an artifact on this island this artifact may or may not have existed and where can i go with that and i wanted to try something a little bit different because I didn't want to fall into the rut that I sometimes fall into with pitches where it's just, okay, let's pitch this article as a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So I changed, you know, everything. (laughs) (laughs) But that's kind of what I came up with. But I will say that like our pitches while different in plot do have similarities in terms of at least location and setting and things like that and idea. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, so let's see what we can do with them. Now, Spanish-speaking Norwegian film? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, Vigo can do it. That's right. um, speaks like eight languages. Uh, yeah. Smartman. He's a smartman. So I'm thinking in terms of setting, if we were to hybridize these, 
let's say there's a, a hypothetical island that exists at a crossroads of European naval travel. Okay. So boats do go through there to Scandinavia. Boats go through there uh, to the British Isles, to mainland Europe, to things that are uh, offshore of Spain, say like that. It's kind of, it's, a, it's almost a crossroads island okay. on the sea. And because of that, we have a variety of different types of people that live on this small island. Um, which is not super important, but it is a place for these boats to stop. Oh, uh, I got you. So it's, yeah, it's kind of like a, um, like a, like a shipping town where people pass through. Yeah, people yep. stay, in, stay in the, the saloons and, you know, spend the night when the weather's rough on the seas, but no one, yep. not many people live there. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, you know, weird, oh, near impossible fashion, equidistant from a lot of different places yeah. you would be sailing to and from. It's like the the island in I can't even remember where it is or or what I it's oh no I think I I think it's is it the Bahamas in uh, Black Sail? Is it the Bahamas? Uh, oh, they're Port of Nassau. I mean, is it Nassau? I was gonna say I think most of the pirates hang out in Nassau. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but it's something like that where it's like a it's a it's an area where they all kind of like get together because they're traveling and shit. Yeah. So it, it's a town of mixed identity on this yeah. this very small island. And uh, for that reason, we can combine our casts exactly. who are otherwise very homogenous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm thinking, I like the notion of you directly involving the mythologies in this. Okay. So what if we're at, we're at an era now where Christianity is well and truly taken over Europe. Um, Islam is, is making inroads and having like their own kingdoms in Spain and North Africa. So that's been creeping, uh, creeping up, um, which is maybe why these people live on this island, because they are adherents to or directly are pagan gods. Okay. Um, it's because they're at a kind of crossroads. A lot of those things, you know, it's a good place to kind of lay low <laughs> mm-hmm. in those terms. If you either are tier or you worship uh, old pagan gods of Spain. Ooh, okay, yeah, I like that. Literally, yeah, they're literally like on the down low. It's it's kind of the idea that like, um, you know, gods come down to humankind to like kind of interact yeah. and like experience human life for a small set of time. Uh, yeah, we're we're treading a bit on Neil Gaiman territory, but not in a, in a broad. That's sense. true. That's that's close <laughs> to American gods, but but you know yeah. what? It's also close to Bruce Almighty. So fuck it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's all. Yeah, that's true. I'm gonna say it's it's, it's archetypal. It's, that's what. Yeah, American it's gods it's is. a story type that's been done many times. Yeah, um, you know, because that's that's about you know the old struggling against the new. I don't think we're necessarily doing that here because these people right. are living in relative peace and and anonymity and happiness. Um. So the inciting incident of the film. Now for you, it was Fenrir, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was the stealing of a sacred object. How do we combine these notions? Do we do something in terms of the idea that Fenrir is actually maybe a wolf that lives on this island? You know, maybe there's some wolves and he maybe mm-hmm. ate an artifact like that. That's very mythos to have him eat <laughs> yeah. something. They have to cut him open to get it back. Similar, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. 
So, okay, what what might it have been, and what why does this affect the island, is the question. Yeah, so yeah, what is the artifact, and does it actually do something, or is it just a memorial piece? Is it something that actually, like, is it something that controls the waves of the ocean, so that these ships can make their hmm. dock and things like that? Okay. Maybe that's okay. something how we get, like, a storm coming. Like, the wolf actually eats an artifact that is meant to appease the gods... Oh, how about, because we were talking a little bit about lighthouses, but if we do a little more low tech, they have a stone pillar on the highest sort of uh, cliff okay. uh, at the side of the island. And at the top of it is this mirror polished uh, brass or bronze ball mm-hmm. that um, incredibly in all different kinds of the day catches the light of the sun or the moon uh, to the point where you, it kind of like gets you in the peripheral if you're sailing and you notice the island oh it's literally like a lighthouse but yeah as just a gem yep i like that and because because now the motherfucker has swallowed that <laughs> a it's not as easy to notice and stop at the island and navigate yeah and be like maybe some ships are, are being damaged or wrecked because uh they're not um they're not aware that they're sailing into a rocky island area yeah yeah i like that that's really good. So we have the idea that Fenrir swallows the orb, the yep. whatever you want to call it. Um, I would say that Tyr is already there. And like oh, yeah. the vacation, quote unquote, has already taken place. He's already yep. mid. And are we going to have it that does he team up with a group of people? Does he team up with? Other yeah, gods? we can just straight up smash cast together. So if that's going to be Tyr, that's pretty cool. I think I would probably keep my people as just villagers who are okay. adherents to old ways from Spain and Portugal. Mm-hmm. And I like the notion of Vigo coming along. It's like the sort of the wise old man of the island. Yeah. And he never explicitly identifies himself as having been an, an old European pagan god, but I think we should maybe leave a little hint or two that he is Zeus. Okay, interesting. Zeus so this do is that sort sometimes of, he put on a hood and be a traveling old man. It's so sort of Odin, like but... it's sort of like a Grand Central Station Mount Olympus. Like that's what this yeah. place is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know, they're living there comfortably. The people here on the island appreciate the old ways, so they feel comfortable. You know, meanwhile in Europe, people are getting absolutely bananas for for Christianity and, and Islam. Yeah. So do yeah, because these are the old gods. Do the people, the humans that live on the island or that come to the island, do they know that the gods exist in human form? No, not visitors. Okay. Yeah. But like, I think our, our villagers are like, they know this guy calls himself Tyr. Yeah. I don't know if they necessarily believe that. Maybe some of them do. But especially if if your villagers are of Spanish descent, they wouldn't. They might not even know the Norse. Yeah, gods. there's like a couple people who are a little bit more red who are like interesting choice of name. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and we throw in Easter eggs for like different, you know, uh, uh, previously old. existing cultures, old yeah. Irish stories and like Mad Swedish. Yeah, Irish, like Greek, Roman, yeah. Norse, African, all those type of things. Yeah. And it's just like little little trails of that, but it's not like this overwhelming presence like it is in American gods because it's not strictly about the gods. 
do we do anything with the plot device of dreams from your pitch? Um, you know what? We can turn it into a metaphor. Okay. In that, you know, Vigo sort of cryptically notes without that here on the island, there are no dreams. Mm-hmm. And we take that very literally. Tyr especially takes that very literally because he's a, he's a, you know, get up and go quest Norse God. Yeah. And the Islanders take that literally because they are superstitious in their paganism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at the end, we reveal like, okay, well, it's back and the ships are coming to the island again. He meant that metaphorically. There's nothing okay. to dream about if if you if your culture does not expand and does not engage with others. Yeah, and coming together to kind of like solve the issues at hand. Exactly. And pun. Huh. Um, I like that because it's it's these differing views on religion coming together to solve a unique problem to their area. So it's a kind of a melting pot of all these different religions and how they can coexist. You get that coexist bumper sticker going. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Coexist together while also learning from each other. And with the radical Christianity movement going on in Europe at the time, it's showing that like it's not it's not one or the other it can be both yes because yes, these it. gods are existing in a human world where they are helping solve problems so you know zeus is there with tear and they are helping to solve these problems um mm-hmm. that's that's an interesting round that's an interesting way to to take that concept i like it yeah that way we're not you know delving overly much into the supernatural yeah 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 we're not gonna it's not gonna be a lot of magic and stuff like that yeah it's more metaphorical i don't even know if we ever need to explicitly confirm that he calls himself tear he is in fact tear that kind of thing or like the you know do we have reason to think that the wolf is is fenrir like he says or is it just a particularly clever wolf who who swallowed a ball eat a ball yeah and escaped, <laughs> escaped not to a ship bound for bound for france but the the easy thing is that while we don't have to say it or do anything about it, also, if the ball maybe somehow metaphorically does adjust like ocean storms and stuff like that, you get lightning for uh, thunder yeah. for Zeus and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Weather sure did get better, huh? <laughs> yeah, but but with Tyr, we can still have him lose his hand, yep. um, you know, fighting the wolf. Maybe not sticking his hand down the wolf's mouth, but maybe the wolf just bites it off or something. Yeah, exactly. So you have all these kind of like non sequiturs that piece together these mythos stories that we know, mm-hmm. but from an audience perspective, you're still not sure like, well, is it just a metaphor for that myth or is this a God, you know? Yeah, exactly. I like that. We, we, we don't have to touch on it so heavily as to explicitly confirm the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is this a Kiran or is this a McDonough movie? Kiron, I feel like you're going to get a little bit more of the spectacle. McDonough, yeah. you're going to get a little bit more of the dialogue. They are both good at, uh, for lack of a better term, road movies. Yeah. You know, Seven Psychopaths is a road movie. Yeah. Um, I'd say In Bruges, mm. too. Yeah, a little bit. Um, oh, God, I still got to see the Banshees. Uh, Banshees oh, I cannot wait. Um, which uh, apparently 
someone was hinting me also involves a hand prominently. So I'm like, oh, okay. oh really? <laughs> um, I wonder if I wonder if we're cribbing something here accidentally from Martin. Um, <laughs> hmm. Because of the dialogue, I'm going to go because of because I'm you know I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of action. I think we're going to be going from place to place and exploring character. I'm going to say McDonough. Okay. I, I I can I can get behind that for sure. Yeah. Um, title. I feel like Longship probably works better. Yes, it does for for what we're um, going for here. I I also think last episode we actually forgot to choose the title. Or no, no, we didn't forget to choose that. We forgot to choose the director last episode. Oh, really? Yeah, damn. I realized that when we when we posted, we when we were recording, we did not choose between. Uh, uh, damn it! It was yours. Yours was uh, Brian Henson, and mine was James Gunn. Yeah, uh, for that project, <laughs> it probably would have been James Gunn. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it's very, very wacky. Yeah, um, we, that we got, we got to- excited about puppets. <laughs> yeah. That came together better than i imagined i honestly didn't expect to use anything from my story just because i wasn't sure where mine was going at all um mm-hmm. but i like the kind of melting pot idea we got out yeah. of it, it I, I love that it's it's very clear that one of us has been watching a lot of the sandman and one of us is heavily anticipating god of war ragnarok <laughs> exactly um. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was thinking about that too i was like well i can't do anything with ragnarok the actual story because that's it's too prevalent right now yeah, <laughs> um, and all the stuff. You know that's I, fine. I, I wanted to try to use someone. Obviously, I, I I use Loki in my original pitch, but I was like, I want to try to use someone that's not as Marvel related. So someone that's maybe not as big. Um, I, I didn't want to use Thor. I didn't want to use Odin. Um, I wanted to use someone different because Norse mythology is fascinating. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> Honestly, all the mythologies are all the stories. The Greeks, the Romans all of the stories behind their gods and goddesses they're just so good <laughs> yeah it's something we we miss in modern western culture which is a tangible uh deific presence yeah that yeah, somehow absolutely. these people felt and we're just unable to do that in our terms yeah we ain't that smart <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we might be a little too smart for our own good sometimes 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 it's true um that came together that was fun. Like I said, like I said, this the, the base story of this of the the statue in the island of Corvo is so open ended. It's just fun to run with your imagination on it. Yeah, yeah, it is, and I I think that's what I like about some of these more mysterious pitches we have. Right, like even some of our pitches yeah. from way back when, episode three, I think, when we did the disappearance of uh, the Canadian guy. I'm so sorry. I don't. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, the, uh, the fellow went missing uh, and died in Tennessee. In the nineties. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun to do those type of mysteries where we don't know what actually happened. So we do get that creative Liberty to kind of create it ourselves. Hmm. I like it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's making movies, baby. <laughs> that's making movies. That's making movies. And guys just, you know, just, just so you know, out there, it's just hard. I mean, we've we've pitched 58 movies on this podcast that is not an easy feat nope uh, pitching a movie Netflix is funny <laughs> yeah seriously we'll um, make a we'll make a blockbuster show that is uh actually good apparently <laughs> i've heard it's not good at all right the watcher uh, the, re- the reviews the reviews for watcher are bad the reviews for the blockbuster show are also bad dude Okay, so I was talking about this yesterday with with Matt, 
that the idea that how could they not capitalize on our idea, which for those of you who don't know, which is everybody, because we've never talked about it on the podcast, Rob and I were working on a web series called No Late Fees years ago, which was about Blockbuster in its heyday. It took place in 1996, where our two characters ran a Blockbuster. And one of the jokes, you know, we didn't have like a major premise, but one of the jokes around it was that my character was always talking about how like, x movie was going to be a hit when it was obviously a huge flop like he'd think that batman and robin was going to be amazing or Waterworld was going to be fantastic and not movies like you know casino or shit like that um you seen the runtime for that shit no one's going to sit in a theater and watch casino <laughs> exactly it's like do you have any idea how long that is going to take to rewind it's ridiculous oh, goodfellas too Ooh. <laughs> But uh, I, I can't believe they didn't capitalize that. I don't want to watch a TV show about the last blockbuster. They already made yeah, you made a good documentary about it. Yeah. I love that documentary. But like, what's the show about then? Just people yeah. hanging on. And also, isn't the last blockbuster not even a blockbuster anymore? It's you can't rent things there, isn't it? In no, Airbnb no, no. You, now? You, you can rent things there. They you briefly, okay. they briefly had a thing where, for like a month where you could you could stay there as an Airbnb. Oh, okay. And where is yeah. it? It's in like Nebraska or something. Um, Washington or Oregon. I can't oh, okay, so it's in Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't understand how you don't capitalize on 90s nostalgia. We've had enough 80s nostalgia. Start giving us the 90s. I don't want to skip straight to the 2000s. That's not good enough. Yeah, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we're, we're here. <laughs> we're here. We're ready to tell these stories. <laughs> We've lived through... You know what? Fuck it. We got we to gotta get back to writing no late fees. Yeah. It's just... I, like, the central premise is depressing to me because, like, the last block, blockbuster does well yeah like and people love it but this show is like i think from what i was able to glean like they're like struggling to stay alive and i'm like <laughs> well i don't i don't want to like watch a show about blockbuster with the sword of damocles hanging over their head <laughs> it's the idea it's the idea that superstore worked because one at the time it was unique two it's a great show i highly recommend it if you haven't watched it i did start um, watching it on your recommendation and i, yeah. I enjoy it. it it scratches an itch for a very particular kind of sitcom it really does. And it's a fun time. Then they moved on to make uh, some type of American car show. I don't remember what it was called, which which mm. failed. And now they moved on to make Blockbuster, which is possibly failing. I don't know. It's way too early to tell. But it's uh, yeah, it just came out yesterday. Yeah, it's way too I early think. to tell. But it's the idea that Superstore was different, unique and gave us something we were craving, whereas the other two shows are just trying to capitalize on the same style and humor yeah. without giving us something that we want. Zeitgeist uh, story making is is never good for anyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, God, the Rotten Tomatoes rating for Blockbuster is 21%. <sighs> I never go by Rotten Tomatoes anymore, dude. When we watched, we watched this movie called the... I don't remember what it was fucking called. Um, it was a horror movie the mm -hmm. the the renewal the, the the something like that um it was so bad and and rotten tomatoes gave it like a 45 or a 50 and it was one of the the resort it's called the resort and it was one of the worst okay. movies i've ever seen i think i've told you about it there's a scene so it's about a, a group of four friends who go trek to this island in hawaii because there's an abandoned like I can't remember if it was a mental asylum or just like an abandoned hospital or something um, that's supposed to be haunted. And they track to it. There is a scene in that movie where you have the two characters in the foreground having a conversation and the two in the background having a conversation and they miked all four of them. So it's just dialogue over dialogue and you cannot no. make out any of it. 
Oh, for fuck's sake. And it was so frustrating. It was <laughs> horrible. And Rotten Tomatoes gave it like a 45 or something. And I was like, that's way too high. This is this is disgusting. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes they the way the aggregate works, if if someone has some positive things to say, it, it, it just swings bumps it up the average. Direction. Yep, exactly. Yeah. But even though it like it might honestly be a middle of the road or like even a somewhat negative review. Yeah. Um, but as an aggregate, it's okay. But what I will say is we have ourselves a movie, and that was a pretty fun pitch. I had a very good time with that. I uh, I felt like I didn't do a very good job last time. So. With what? The Jim Henson pitch? Yeah, I don't know. Really? I got down why? on myself. I don't know why I got down on myself. <laughs> it happens. Look, we've done 58 of these. Not everyone is going to be a, a, you know, yeah. a golden ringer. Um, and... You know, some of them are some of them are better than the others. Some of them from the early ones are really good. Some of them from the early ones are really not great. But yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that's why we keep doing it and we, we keep seeing what happens. But for everyone out there, thank you again for joining us as we approach episode 60. Um, our special guest will be announced next episode, episode 59. This episode will air on November 5th, Saturday, which right now as of recording is tomorrow. Um <laughs> Hope you guys have enjoyed the last couple episodes. Hope you enjoy what's coming up and are excited for it. Always remember, send us pitches, email us, tweet us, whatever. Twitter's yes, Twitter's going to shut down in a second, but yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I might deactivate. But I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the sensation at the moment that like I'm walking through the streets of ancient Rome and I look up and I see Nero fiddling as a fire begins. I was going to say that, or you're just in Pompeii awaiting it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you close your eyes. <laughs> uh, thank you guys uh, for joining us. We hope you had fun with this one as we did. Um, again, send us pitches if you can. We'd love to do a listener's episode. We just haven't gotten enough to be able to do it. We're getting close yeah, with I like think... an aggregate amount of pitches that come our way. And my dad yeah. sends me some sometimes. Okay. Yeah. I think in order for us to do, in order us in order for us to do a listener episode, we probably would need at least six pitches because we yeah. need people to send in their ideas too, not just send us articles. Um, yeah, exactly. So we'd love to see that because one, it means we get to work less. And two, you guys get to see your own stuff on the podcast. That's fun. That's fun. Mailbag. Come, come join us. It's a good time. <laughs> um, you guys know where to find us. WDYG podcast at gmail.com. Twitter at what do you got? Facebook at what do you got? Still no Instagram because I don't know if there's even a point at this point. We're going to um, fight them. We're going to fight them. <laughs> uh, but that's all that I have to say. Well, guys, we love you very again. much. Very, very much. And until next time, I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And that's what we got. What Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Weiss. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Weiss.